All right, grab your Bibles. I'll tell you what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about restoration. Um, I'm very excited about it. And uh, bottom line is uh, I'm going to talk about how sometimes our life just feels to be like it's in the doldrum. Uh, and uh, what's a doldrum? A doldrum, have you ever watched a, a race on TV of sailboats? I remember the first time I saw it, I walked into a living room and, and a guy was watching this race and there was like 50 sailboats just sitting on the ocean. And I said, what kind of race is this? I can get out there with a paddle boat and beat these guys. And uh, he told me, he said, they're all waiting for the wind to come just sitting there. So there's no wind, there's no waves, there's no current. They're just sitting there eating a banana, putting on banana boat sunscreen, just sitting there. They call that the doldrum. And uh, what's interesting is a lot of times we'll find our life in the doldrum. We're just not excited. We're going to work. We're doing the same old thing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I remember our seven-year-old son, Luke, he said, does, does the week just keep going in a circle? Like there's Monday and then there's Sunday. It's just one big circle and it's going to be like that for the rest of my life? And I'm like, man, I'm starting to get down now. <laughs> She's, yeah. <laughs> Let's make up some new days. Let's mix this thing up or something. But yeah, it's just like one thing after another. What If we're not careful, we're not excited, we're not, um, uh, we're, there's no anticipation uh, for tomorrow, the next week, the next month, especially if you're caught in a season with your family is kind of in a, in a doldrum. Your marriage might be in a doldrum. Work might be in a doldrum. Spiritually, you're in a doldrum. Uh, a lot of times you can call it a depression whatever. Sometimes uh, different things cause it. It causes a doldrum. And uh, a lot of times our heart is just saying, God, I want you to restore my youth. I want to be excited again. I want to be happy again. I want to laugh again. And uh, so that's what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, But before I dive into uh, 1 Kings, I want to tell a story uh, about a guy who's responsible um, for a lot of how Las Vegas looks today. Uh, his name is Steve Wynn. Uh, here's a, a picture of him. Doesn't that look like a Las Vegas smile if you've ever seen one? His name is Steve Wynn, and uh, he's, he's built a, a lot of what you see on the Vegas Strip. Has anyone here been on the Vegas Strip before? Um, the Wynn Hotel was named after him. Um, and then uh, the, the Treasure Island Hotel. He was responsible for that one. He built the Treasure Island Hotel. It's a phenomenal site. They got the pirates and this big ship in front of it. Uh, you can watch it for 45 minutes. I remember it's like every 45 minutes they got a new five-minute show. And I'd stand there and like, Allie, don't move. The pirate's going to come out again. She's like, he looks the same as he did the last time. I know, I know. But he's just captivating. And not only did he build the uh, those two but he also was responsible for the Mirage Hotel. Gorgeous, gorgeous uh, hotel. And then also the Bellagio. Uh, The Bellagio, those fountains, you can stare at those things for like 15 minutes. They just do all these different things. So Steve Wynn is responsible for a lot of how Las Vegas looks today. Uh, So what's interesting is I recently heard a story. Uh, He really loves Joel Osteen. Loves him. I'm like, who doesn't? I mean, he's got his hair and everything else. (laughs) 
And so, uh, so he, he reached out to Pastor Joel and he said, look, I want you to come to my house. I want to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And so he's telling Joel this story. And I recently heard the story. I want to share it with you. Um, uh, Steve Wynn is an avid art collector. And so he's got art all over his walls, everywhere. His favorite piece, I want to try to pronounce it right, is called the Le Reve. In French, it's called the Dream. Um, and so he's telling Pastor Joel this story about how he sold it to Stephen Cohen for the price, the agreed price was $139 million. $139 million for this painting. Uh, it's a Picasso painting. And so uh, they agreed on the price. The attorneys got involved. The insurance agency, they got involved. And so um, Steve Wynn calls up about four or five of his friends. Uh, Barbara Walters was one of them. He said, hey, I'm about to sell my painting. Uh, why don't you come over to the house? We're going to pull it out of the frame. Uh, and we're going to put it on an easel. So if you want to see it one last time before I give it away, it, he's already paid for it. It's already bought. I'm giving it to him tomorrow. Come over tonight. So they had this like little cocktail party at his house and see this painting one last time. Well, Steve Wynn is a very charismatic kind of guy. He's got charisma just oozing out of his veins. And so he's standing up, so the story goes, and he's talking about this painting. And he's telling him about it. And somehow or another, he loses his footing. He puts his elbow through the canvas tears it six inches. The whole room did what this room just did, like, <gasps> and, and so Stephen Wynn, just very quick on his feet, said, hey, look, um, the good news is we're all still alive. And everyone's like, ha-ha. <laughs> and he's like, we're all still alive. And he goes, additionally, I'm the one who did it. So thank God it was none of you. <laughs> and so they all kind of regroup. And so Steve Wynn calls up Stephen Cohen. I should have been named Stephen. Maybe I'd have a couple bucks. But anyway, uh, he calls up Stephen Cohen and he's like, look, I don't know how to say this. Uh, so I'm just going to come right out. I just put my elbow through the painting. So we can do one or two things here. Um, you can just redeem it through the insurance and get your money, um, or we can just call the sale off. I'll give you your money back, and I'll keep the painting. Well, Stephen Cohen said, hey, you know what? I don't want the painting now. Just give me my money back, and we'll just call it a deal. So he gives the money back. Stephen, uh, Steve, Steve uh, Wynn decides, hey, look, you know what? I don't want to just trash this thing. It, you know, this is one of my favorite paintings. So he spends $90,000. He gets the best artist out there, uh, a, a guy that's a restoration specialist. He comes down, and for four years, he sits over this painting, he flips it over, and he begins to sew it back together again for four years. He tells Steve Wynn, when I give you this painting back, you will not even know the difference. Now, the back side of it, you'll be able to see the story. But the front, you'll never be able to tell. Sure enough, after four years, Steve Wynn got the painting back, 
couldn't tell a difference. Now, the agreed amount price was $139 million before he put his elbow through it. After it was restored, it was worth more than it was before it was damaged, and he sold it for $155 million. It was actually worth more. Why did I tell you that story? We're going to unpack the term restoration for the remainder of my message. And I want to emphasize that when somebody has been restored, your value to us, the people sitting around you, the people that are in your life, your value is greater than it ever was. You know, my, my wife, Allie, her, her father has uh, stage four cancer. Uh, it's right here in his esophagus, and obviously it's spread. That's what stage four means. And I, was trying, I always try my best to connect with her. The problem is, is I can only be a good listener because both of my parents are still alive. And nobody in my family has died that I was close to. Now, my grandmother has died on one side. My grandfather has died on the other side. But I never knew them that well. So nobody close to me has ever died. Her and I went out to dinner with a couple recently, and she looked across the table, and the gentleman that we were with was sitting with his second wife. They're very good friends of ours. His first wife died of cancer when they were 28 and 27. It was very sad. And so Allie says, how did you deal with your wife having cancer? And they both cried. I could not connect because I have never been through that process. I had no value to bring. When you have been restored, you have more value to bring to us. Now, you paid a huge price, but your value is higher than it's ever been. I want to unpack that thought process because redemption and restoration are two completely different things. If you're taking notes, please write this down. Redemption is the action of gaining or regaining a possession of something in exchange for a payment. So when you and I sinned, we signed up to go to hell. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins and redeemed us back for every person here that has said, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. He brings us back into the family. That happens in a moment. Restoration, I'm back in the family, but I got a lot of hurts and pains. That's a process. The restoration is to, here's the proper definition of it, the action of returning something to its former condition, like the painting. Or he takes you and he says, before you were hurt, you were this vibrant, exciting girl. And then you were betrayed by somebody who promised they'd be there through sickness and in health. And they hurt you. But I'm going to put you back together again. I'm going to restore you. And you're actually going to be more valuable than you were before that incident ever took place. See, many of us in this room, including myself, need restoration. 
If you've been through a divorce, maybe your parents, maybe you, you might need restoration. If you've ever worked at an employer, I talked to this, uh, this parent recently. His, uh, their son graduated college. He was all excited. He got his degree, got his first job, and he's all excited. And the new boss that he had ripped him every day, broke him down every day. He got this 24-year-old kid, just got his bachelor's degree, he's all pumped up, and the boss just beat him down, beat him down, quit his job, moved back home, sits, doesn't believe that he has anything to contribute, doesn't believe he has anything to give. An employer can tear you down. He needs to be restored. A husband, a wife, a daughter, a son, you need to be restored. If you want to love the Lord, I feel like this is for somebody, you want to love God, you want to have a good prayer life, but he disappointed you. God disappointed you. He didn't come through when you needed him to come through, and so now you're tentative. The relationship needs to be restored. You know, restoration takes a while. Uh, sometimes it can happen in a moment, but most often it takes a little while. I recently heard about um, this, this lady um, who tried to rush the process a little bit. She was a Spanish lady, and uh, she was the janitor at this Spanish cathedral. And she would show up, and she would say, when are you guys going to stop trying to restore these other paintings because these restoration artists would come in every day and restore the paintings? When are you going to stop trying to restore all these other paintings and restore the one of Jesus? Enough! When? So she turned 80 years old and she couldn't take it anymore. She got so tired of it. And you can go and look this up on the internet. Just type in, uh, I'll tell you what to type in after I tell you the story. Uh, some of you with your iPhones, <laughs> I know your ways. I'm taking notes. Yeah, right. <laughs> So she got so tired of it, she decided, you know, I'm going to paint this on my own. So she came to work the next day. She had her own paint brushes. She had her own paint. And the other artists, the other uh, painting restoration specialists, they didn't even notice that she was doing this because they were so concentrated. They, they lean over and they concentrate for hours. They didn't even notice what was happening over here. So I want to show you the painting of what it looked like um, this was the, the painting of Jesus. She was so upset. She was so furious. Stop painting. Paint Jesus. Paint Jesus. And they always say, we'll get to it in a, in a little bit. So she decided she was going to rush the process. She's going to do it herself. And, and this is how it came out. <laughs> uh, how do I say this? Uh, uh, wrong. <laughs> I mean, no. Right? You totally butchered that. It, it looks terrible. And, and so now we got a painting of Jesus, and, and Jesus looks terrible. And, and what's so honest about this discussion is when we don't come to Jesus for restoration, he looks terrible when we did it ourselves. We did this ourselves. 
we, we tried to put our own life together. We, we didn't worship our way through that. We didn't pray our way through that. We didn't lean on God through that. We, we put that thing together. We sent that, on, uh, we sent that email on our own. I got something to tell you. Hold on. You want to send an email? I got your email right here. We sent that text message on our own. We made that phone call on our own. And now people look at us and we say, yeah, we're a Christian. And they're like, oh, really? Is that your, your Jesus is jacked up. Look at, look at your whole life. <laughs> we put that together. But in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a guy named Elijah, and his life got flipped inside and out, up, up, down, left, and right. And we're going to use him as a case study. Let, let me just give you a little bit of background. Elijah, if you study the Bible, of all the people in the Bible that seem to operate with the most power, he's like in the top three, top four. I mean, he, just, he called down fire from heaven and scorched and killed these 300 false prophets, smoked them. He one time outran a horse. How many of you watched the Belmont yesterday? Did anyone here watch the Belmont? Okay, so the Belmont, for those of you that don't give a rip, uh, the, the Belmont is one of the big three races. And so if a horse, like Secretariat, for example, wins all three races in a row, it's called the Triple Crown. And that has not happened since 1978. Well, yesterday, my wife and I are sitting in the living room. We're wanting to watch this race. And this horse, American Pharaoh has won the first two, and now this is the third. The Belmont was the third yesterday. Everybody is freaking out. They got hats, they got bows, they got... The hats were a show. I mean, it's like, wow, can that thing fly? I mean... Hats everywhere, canes. People are like, like 17 years old walking around with a cane. I'm like... What? So, I mean, everybody, every white shoes and everything. It was just like a whole big deal. So you watch this horse race and American Pharaoh is like, and you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And so it's a mile and a half around and then the race is over. It's a mile and a half race. We're going, ah, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Allie is like screaming, come on. We didn't even know the name of the horse an hour before. Allie is screaming. She's, come on, come on. I've got the baby. Oh, come on. The baby is screaming at us for screaming. We're making the baby scared. Luke comes running and what's going on around here? Come on, come on. And the horse wins and we're like, yeah. It's the first horse race I ever watched my whole life. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. But they did a zoom in on the horse and the nostrils of the horse were like this big and shining red. <laughs> it just got done sprinting. <laughs> Hats were like. <laughs> and it, just nostrils just flaring red. Because when a horse runs that hard, it's like, <laughs> Elijah outran a horse. Outran a horse. Shortly after that, we run into First King. I'm sorry, First Kings chapter 19. Let's pick up reading. When Ahab got home, he was the king. He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel 
sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. This girl flipped his world upside down. Let me just state the obvious. You women got some power. You can make a man or break a man. He was flea. He can outrun a horse. He can call fire down from heaven. One girl said, I'm going to get you. And he freaks. Freaks out. Watch what he does next. He was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Let me just say this as a sidebar. This doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but just as a sidebar. It is so scary when we run into rough patches in life and we choose to be alone. Don't call me. Don't email me. Pray for me over there. Don't tell me you're praying for me. I'm going to get irritated if you tell me that. Leave me alone. Sometimes I don't see people at church for weeks. I see them. I'm like, hey, it's great to see you. How have you been? Oh, man. I just came through a rough season. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. In my head, I'm thinking, you went through that alone? You went through that alone? You've been saying at home in your covers eating bluebell? That's the problem right there. Don't you know? Been watching the news? But you've been at home going through this rough season all by yourself. You should have been here. We can go through it together. We can do it together. So haven't you ever seen the National Geographic channel when the lion's chasing the big pack? It's always the dumb antelope that goes by itself. Have you ever been watching it like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. The lion is like, <laughs> he always goes, gets the one that has the good idea to be alone. Now, I'll tell you what, now, here's the thing. If we make a list of everybody in this room and the number one person that withdraws the quickest and the fastest when bad things happen, my name is first on the list. So I'm not talking, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. This is a problem I have. That's why I make myself, this isn't a plug for life groups. I'm just telling you, every spring, every fall, I'm in one because I know me. So anyway, Elijah, he leaves, he tells his servant, stop hanging out with me. Verse four, then he went alone, here we go, into the wilderness Depressed. That's like getting on Highway 45, point your car south. When I hit ocean, I'm going to keep going. He's alone, flying. And all of a sudden, he sat down under a solitary... I've only been reading two verses, and it's alone, alone, and solitary three times. A solitary broom tree... And he prayed, watch this, that he might die. Uh, Here's the prayer some of us have prayed before. I have had enough, Lord. 
Have you ever prayed without talking? Just kidding. Kind of. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Watch this. Take my life. I just want to die. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And they were evil and sinful. Just kill me. Don't fix the problem. No, no, no. I just want to die. You know what? For you and I, we might look at him and go, what is his problem? Do you know who you are? Before we pick up rocks, let me remind you that the car that you drove here in is worth more than the average person in the world makes per year. The car. You go, you don't know my car. My car is a beater. I'm talking about that one too. The average, you take all the people in the world and you average their income. What you drove here in. Do you know when you opened up your closet, you're like, hmm, what should I wear? You got clothes in there you don't, you forgot you had. What socks do I want to wear? What underwear? What pants? You got so much in your house. You live, you can, I bet you, you have a box on your wall and you're like, whoa, it's kind of hot in here. Boop. Oh, that's so much better. Raise your hand if you got one of those boxes. Rich, spoiled brat you are. Oh, hey, oh, oh, that's so much better. And then when it gets cold, oh, it's so brrr. Oh, that's so much better. That's so much better. This is our life. And so we back up and we go, man, I, I'm, I'm depressed. The same way we can throw stones at Elijah, we can throw stones at each other. We can just say, hello, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And when I get depressed and when I get down and I fight it all the time, I back up and go, come on. So, but let's not throw stones at Elijah because if you look at my life and I look at your life and we dive in and say, okay, what are you upset about? Why are you in the doldrum? Why, why do you need God to lift you up? I may say to you, get a grip. You will say back to me, watch this. You'll say back to me, maybe I would get a grip and maybe it's a small problem to you, but to me, it's a big problem. And I got to say this to me, you may think my problem is small, but to me, it's big. And to Elijah, I may look at Elijah and go, dude, you are a sissy. But he would say back to me, maybe you can call me a sissy, but to me, this is a big deal. And that's what I love about God, because he doesn't back up and go, what is your problem? He backs up and goes, I see this is a big deal to you. And so I'm going to restore you right where you're at. I'm going, to, I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to restore you. And so this is the three things that took place. Number one, there's three things that he did. Number one is he rested. He sat down and he stopped running. Here's the million billion dollar question that all of us have got to answer. Are you done running? Are you done living by yourself? Some of you may say, no, I got this. Okay. 
What about the rest of us? You know, I was uh, watching Billy Graham preach last night on um, whatever it was. And um, the sermon he was preaching happened 30 years ago, and so they were re-televising the sermon. He was telling this story uh, about how this friend of his was preaching a message, and he stood up at the end of the message, and he says, I want you to stand up in this room if you say, I will. I will follow Jesus. I will give him everything I got. I want you to stand up and say, I will. And if you don't want to say that, I want you to stand up and say, I won't. But you have to stand up and say something. And somebody in the crowd stood up and said, I will. Somebody else stood up in the crowd and said, I won't. I appreciated the honesty when I heard the story. Someone else stood up and said, I will. Someone else stood up and said, I won't. And one after another, people were standing on one side of the line and the other. Let me ask you a question. If, if, which I'm not, but if I were, say, are you, are you done running? Are you done living your life not being in communication with Jesus Christ? Are you done? Some of us in this room could honestly stand up and say, no, I'm not. I'm here today, but I'm not. And I want to challenge you to reconsider. It's very interesting to be able to sit down and take a rest. When you think about the word rest, you can't rush rest. If you take the word restoration and cut it in half and say rest over here, orientation, I'm sorry, oritation over there. Rest, you can't rush that. What if I say, I want everybody here to go take a nap, but hurry up. <laughs> you know, when Allie and I look at our kids, and we're like, we're going to take a nap. And, and my son goes, how long is that going to take? I'm like, well, you just mess it up. <laughs> just like that. I can't hurry up a nap. I can't rush a nap. I can't rush rest. Everybody rest, but hurry up. You can't rush rest. You can't do it. Finally, Elijah just sat down and was like, I'm done. I, mean, I think that's the most powerful words we could ever say, words we could ever say to God. I'm done. You can't rush rest. And watch this. I looked up the word oritation. And that, you know what that word means? It means to proclaim. Do you realize that our countenance proclaims and talks for us, whether we're getting rest or we're not getting rest, our face is talking for us. Have you ever looked at a friend and were like, girlfriend, go to bed. Have you ever wanted to say that to a friend? Go to bed. I love you. Go to bed. I love you. Go to bed. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said, you know what? I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's happening to me. I just, uh, he's white collar, uh, CEO level, uh, pushed the, sat down behind his desk. One of my, uh, he just, he put his hands in his face and he says, I, uh, I don't know what's wrong. We got to talking and at the end of the day. He hasn't unplugged in too long. Hasn't rested. And you can see it. You can see it on somebody's face. Um, You know, resting involves being in a certain position. Have you ever tried to sleep standing up? I haven't. (laughs) it's, It's hard. Resting and putting your head. You know the guy named Samson had long hair, six pack, just you could make his boobs bounce, big strong arms. 
He wanted to rest. Some of you guys were sleeping. You're like, did he just say (laughs) big, strong arms? And, And, you know, he needed rest. And he decided to lay his head on the lap of Delilah and lost everything. Jacob needed rest. His brother was chasing him to kill him. And he laid his head on a rock and looked up to God and ended up getting back more than he ever dreamed he would. Where do you lay your head? Where do you lay your head? I got a friend of mine named Chris Arthi, great friend of mine. He's a great friend of many of yours too. He, li- he works in, in guitar right now. And uh, somebody uh, last year proposed to his, uh, his daughter and he sat down with a young man. He goes, do you want to marry my daughter? <laughs> you know something's coming when a dad asks you that. He goes, you want to marry my daughter? He goes, let me, I got two questions for you to answer. Number one, Where does your strength come from? Number two, when the storm comes, and it will come, where do you go? Don't answer now. I want you to go think about it. I want you to come back and tell me. And then I'll decide whether or not I'll, I'll give my daughter to you. At the end of the day, where do we rest? How do we rest? Number two is he replenished his flesh. He sat down, an angel showed up. Wouldn't that be nice? Have you ever had a problem and you're like, I need an angel. I don't care if he's tall, short, skinny, or fat. I don't care if he's like a a Keebler elf angel. I need an angel to come talk to me right now. Have you ever thought that ever, ever? Not exactly like that, but... I think that when angels show up, sometimes they tell us things that, that we kind of already knew. An angel showed up to Elijah. He's in this depression. And do you know what the angel said? Go to sleep. Came from heaven to tell him to go to sleep. He wakes up and he says, watch this. This is really profound. Eat something. Eat something. Go to Mel's, get you a chicken fried steak, do what you got to do. Eat something. It's the physical. Sometimes we, do you know that, that spirituality is more physical than what we realize? The supernatural is very natural. So he eats something. He begins to replenish himself. And he begins to start realizing that, okay, all right, I got it. He begins to re- take care of his body. And then number three, He begins to replenish his spirit. He wakes up and he goes to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is called the mountain of God. If you're taking notes today, please write this down. Praying is the most important thing you will do each day. Now I've got a few things here. I've got a toothbrush. I've got some toothpaste. Um... This is something you need to do every day. If you're sitting next to somebody right now that has not used this, I'm sorry for you. Here's something else that you have got to use every day. You don't have to use speed stick. You can use something else. You can rub it. You can spray it. It can be white. It can be gel. But for all this good and holy, use something. (laughs) Use something. 
what are these areas of your body called? They're called pits. Pits because they stink. Have you ever talked to somebody or been around somebody and you can smell something, but you don't know exactly what it is? And then you dial in. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think there's some... Oh, I hope it's not. Have you ever checked? And you don't want to get caught checking. And then it does say, no, it's not me. And then all of a sudden the grace goes away. It's you. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I know you didn't. You stink. You stink. Or your breath stinks. Or you didn't use this. Or you didn't use this. And now I got to deal with it. I got to back up. I got to. Uh. I was at lunch with somebody the other day and they had a little something hanging out of their nose. Before I judged him, I got, I was wondering if I got something hanging out of my nose. He doesn't know it. Maybe I don't know it either. Have you ever taken a selfie of yourself to find out if you have something hanging out of your nose? I haven't. <laughs> it's just awkward. So here it is. It affects everybody. It affects everybody when you just don't take the time to do something that you got to do every single day. And I just want to just say this, and I mean this with love. When you don't pray every day, it affects everybody. It affects you. It affects your wife. It affects your husband. It affects your kids. I'm telling you, I catch myself sometimes. I'm running around and I'm going busy, busy, just like you, busy, busy, busy. And it dawns on me, you have not prayed today. And I'll think to myself, I don't have time. And then the next thought will be, this is the most important thing you will do today. It's the most important thing. I want to emphasize that. The most important thing. Do you have a husband that needs the hand of God to touch his heart? Are you in a season where you're spending time in the hallway? You know what the hallway is? It means every door of opportunity is locked. You're in the hallway. You keep on knocking. You try this job, you try this relationship, you try this doctor, you try this, you try this, you try this, you shake this, you yell at him, you yell at her, and nothing's happening. You're just stuck and you're frustrated. That's called being in the hallway. Seasons in the hallway. Let me ask you, please remember this forever and ever and ever. Everything depends on who you depend on. And so what are you depending on? Are you depending on somebody just to all of a sudden like you and from the other side of the door of opportunity, they're just going to open it up and say, come on in, I like you, I love you, and I want to give you a great job. Is that the hope? What is the hope? All of a sudden your wife is going to come home and she's going to be like, um, uh, you know, a Stepford wife? Is, is, that what, is that what you got your fingers crossed over? Everything depends on who you depend on. And it's my hope today that I say to each other that if you are in a season like I have been many times, in a season of doldrum, in a season where you're like, dear God, I know my life is better than most, but I'm not happy. 
I know my life is better than most, but things aren't going well right now. Um, I need some help. I need to be replenished. I have no excitement, no, no vigor, no, no passion. Dear God, help me. Sometimes I felt the Lord speak to me one time. I was getting frustrated with, with somebody and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and said, don't get mad at them for not doing what only I can do. I want to say we need some rest. We need to physically make sure that we're doing the practical things. And then we got to make sure that we are meeting with God. Now, for those of us where that just seems so hard to do, I got a great video for you. Take a look at this. Here's a little food for thought. There's an old saying that says, if the first thing you do when you wake up each morning is eat a live frog, nothing worse can happen for the rest of the day. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Well, Brian Tracy has said that your frog should be the most difficult task on your things to do list. The one you're most likely because if you eat that first, it'll give you energy and momentum for the rest of the day. But if you don't, if you let him sit there on the plate while you do a hundred unimportant things, it can drain your energy and you won't even know it. William James, one of the founders of modern psychology, said this, Procrastination is attitude's natural assassin. There's nothing so fatiguing as an uncompleted task. So, with that said, here's your assignment for the next 30 days. Take a look at your list, circle the frog, eat that first, and you'll thank us for it. I'll tell you, I think of that dumb frog video. I saw it years ago, and I think about it all the time. I thought about it yesterday, uh, or the day before. I can't remember when I did the grass last, but I hate weed eating. I hate it. And uh, I just said, just weed eat first and get it over with. I particularly don't like exercising. Just get it over with, get it over with. You know, the Bible says, early in the morning, I will seek his face. You can pray anytime you want. But there's something about just doing it first. Set the tone for the rest of your day. Something I want to talk about real quick. I probably don't have the time for it, but I'm going to do it anyway because I feel like there's some people that need to hear it. Some of our lives is a lot like Stephen Wynn's painting. The front of it looks so good. I mean, all of you, you got your makeup on, your hair did, <laughs> got your hair, nails did, and whatever. I just like saying it like that. But... On the front, everything looks good. But behind it, behind the smile and the laugh, the canvas, you see all the messy. And some of us have got a lot of messy, a lot of things that are happening right now, things that have happened years ago. It's just not nice. I want to close with this last thought. 
um, Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel ceiling in uh, 1508, a long time ago, hundreds of years ago. Well, just recently, they decided that they were going to um, clean it. It's been hundreds of years, they decided they were going to clean it. And they were looking at all the dark spots on the painting. And they decided we need to clean that off because if you've ever been there, you know that they don't have lights inside of the Sistine Chapel. They have candles. And so all of these restoration painting artists, they said, oh, that's all soot. That's all smoke that has gone up over hundreds of years that's made it dark. And so they decided to start cleaning it. And then they took the cleaning too far. They scrubbed it too hard. They actually started messing it up and they backed up. They put down everything. They just backed up. And they realized that that was not soot and that was not smoke at all. The way Michelangelo painted it is he had all these beautiful colors. He got down off of the scaffolding and he got to looking at it and something wasn't right about all these beautiful colors that he had been using. And so he called over to somebody and said, bring me some black ashes. And he took the ashes and he put oil inside of the ashes and he stirred it up. And he began to take ashes and smear it around the color. Why did he use ashes? In those days, that was the only way that you could come up with a charcoal black was to use ashes and after he put the ashes on it it made all of the colors so much more brilliant when I heard that story I went ah I get it now in Isaiah 61 the Lord says I will take your ashes and give you beauty for it he takes all of our nasty, messy... You know what's interesting? Let me share this. When we talk about our past, it's really interesting because there's always, for many of us, I know I'm one of them, one or two stories you don't share with anybody. You'll share these stories, but not these stories. You say, these stories, isn't God good and isn't God faithful? And you share these stories, but... These stories, even though God is good and God's faithful, you ain't still ain't sharing those stories. But we feel God takes all of it, all of this dirty, this nasty, this hard, and he takes it and he smears it over our life. And when you take it and smear it over our life, it's the dark colors against the bright colors that makes the bright colors more vibrant. It was the dark charcoal that made the eyes of the painting more vibrant. I just want to tell you that if you're hurting, if you need to be restored in a way that only He can, He takes the ashes of the marriage, the ashes of the Father, the ashes of your mother, the ashes of the experience, 
the ashes of having to claim bankruptcy, the ashes of how you feel because the bank account doesn't have what it's supposed to. He takes all of that. It begins to smear it all over your life. And it makes you more valuable to him and to everybody you live your life with. You're far more valuable than you've ever been before. 